You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and good Friday to all of you Aggie fans. Welcome to an episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And what's it like to actually get to know what it is like a game day at the University of Alabama? I can only describe it in my own experiences, but you don't want to hear it from someone who covers Texas A&M. You want to hear it from an Alabama student right now. He's going to tell us all about it. AJ Spur joins the show. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, where a candy bar meets a protein bar. Go visit BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On to save $10 off your very next purchase. As always, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And the best way by doing that is by listening and following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this show a more quality sounding podcast Monday through Friday, every single day is a Locked on Aggies podcast day. Make sure you give me a follow and I will take your considerations. And secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th man related content found here on LOP. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and you can't do any of that. Listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. Again, you want to know what it's like to be a student. You want to know what it's like to be in the stands at Bryant Denny Stadium. You want to know what it's like to be going on in Tuscaloosa. I got you covered today with my main man from Roll Tide Wire, part of the USA Today Network, AJ Spur. AJ, how you doing, bud? I'm doing mighty fine. Week one of SEC college football is in the books. I think we're heading into week four, week five, the rest of college football, which at this point doesn't really matter. I don't know, but I'm doing great, and I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man, thanks so much for coming in. I love having people who I are following kind of in my own footsteps. I was a member of 90.7, the capstone. I was a member of the Crimson White. I did all of that during my college days. I'm seeing you do the same thing. And maybe one day you'll be able to cover another SEC team besides Alabama. But we brought you on today to talk Alabama. So week one, brand new system. I mean, it was a brand new style of play. Matt Jones comes in. I know he played last year, but it was the Tua Tagovailoa show. That's always what it's been. It wasn't the numbers that you wanted to probably see if you're a Bama fan, 245 on the day for Mac Jones, but it was consistent play. I mean, what did you see from Mac that just stood out that is probably going to make Alabama a competitive offense once again? Well, coming into this year, honestly, it was kind of assumed overall Mac Jones was going to be the guy, but that Bryce Young camp was very strongly voiced uh, during the preseason. So coming in, there wasn't a – QB competition, so to say, but it was definitely in the air as to how much Mac compared to how much Bryce we'll see in a week one, you know, when looking in years past, um, when Jalen was the starting quarterback, you saw hints of Tua Tungavailoa with Tua as the starting quarterback. You saw, you know, some hints of Mac Jones here and there late in the fourth quarter, usually, but to see Bryce young as early as we did in this game. I mean, we weren't halfway through the third quarter, when Bryce Young came in and Mac Jones hit the sidelines, and I don't think he came back for the rest of the game. As far as Mac Jones's performance is, I, I thought it was good. Nothing great. Um, obviously, you're not going to come close to sniffing what Tua Tungavailoa was able to do in his few years at Alabama. Um, I, I wouldn't even say he was as good as Jalen when Jalen got things going at Alabama. I mean, he went 18 for 24, just under 250 yards, two touchdown passes, pretty good. Saban, on the other hand, I think he likes Mac a lot. He only said um, that Mac threw one questionable or iffy or bad pass or something like that. 
So he seemed to really like Mac's performance. I think Alabama with Jalen and Tua has become accustomed to this flashy style of play, whether it be on the ground with Jalen or the deep risky passes with Tua. So to see Mac Jones kind of step in and take that game manager role, I, I think was a way different speed than what they're used to, but it got the job done. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't too beautiful, but you know, they walked away with the win one and oh. But the biggest thing I think that a lot of fans do forget, especially the younger fans, such as yourself, like an old timer who's, Oh my God, I'm going to be 27 in a week. That makes me feel so old. But still when I was in college, I was used to seeing that style of play from AJ McCarron. When I was growing up, I was used to seeing that style of play from the likes of, Greg McElroy, even in my senior year when I was covering the team for the Crimson White and, and doing all the writing, it was Jake Coker. This is the style of quarterback that Nick Saban has always gone to, and it's kind of the Tua and the Jalen were a little bit of a flash kind of in the pan that just mm -hmm. made it a little different, made it a little bit more fun. You know, an old dog learned a new trick, and that's kind of what it was. Yeah. So when you look at Mac Jones, though, I, I mean, is there reason to be afraid of, for him, if he's moving forward, especially against this A&M defense that did have two turnovers against the likes of Vanderbilt? Um, so my personal biggest issue with Mac Jones is, and this goes back to the Iron Bowl from last year. You know, he threw two uh, interceptions. I think both of them were pick sixes. Both were pick his, sixes, but one was off Najee's hot curate. True. So, true. So we'll call it one pick six, but two officially, two interceptions nonetheless. His decision-making while in the pocket, and, and this may just go back to me being accustomed to that Jalen Tua-style flashy offense, it's not that solid, in my opinion. He, he only saw three true wide receivers on Saturday's game against Missouri. Jalen Waddell, who's expected to be, you know, the outright star. He saw Devontae Smith, who returned for his senior season. And then redshirt freshman John Mechie had two receptions, 42 yards, other than that, we see um, a couple or all three running backs, uh, Trey Sanders, Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, and then tight end Miller Forrestal only get one reception. Point is, his options, at least from what it seems against Missouri, are limited. And when it came to Tua, I don't think that was an issue because Tua would find, you know, the slightest open hole and just, you know, gun it right in there. And it was all said and done. Here, though, he, he found Jalen Waddle eight times for 134 yards. Devontae Smith got eight for 89. I think that it's going to be risky with Mac making those deeper passes. That's why I like Jalen. That's why I like Devontae. I haven't seen enough of John Mechie yet to have a solid opinion on him, but they can take those short passes, those safe passes for Mac and work with them and take them deep. I think that if the Aggie secondary can actually step up here and play the short game, I don't think that they'll have an issue with Mac Jones going deep on them. One of the biggest things for A&M that was very successful was Damani Richardson, what he did in the, in the red zone against Vanderbilt, against Ken Seals, getting that pick. Uh, you know, it, it really took away a play that could have been a giveaway touchdown and ultimately the decision maker in a 17-12 game. A.J. Spur here from Roll Tide Wire, part of the USA Today Network. A.J., you know, last year what I called them was the four horsemen of the Bama apocalypse because of literally there were so many weapons for Tua Tagovailoa but Henry Ruggs goes number 12 to the Las Vegas Raiders. Jerry Judy go number 15 to the Denver Broncos. So two are returning. Uh, but again, everyone was really focusing in on Devonta Smith. Instead, it's Jalen Waddle, short little Jalen Waddle, Waddle baby, Waddle baby, all the way to the end zone and making plays here and there. I mean, what did you see from him 
And is he truly a number one receiver with his ability to play in the slot, play the flanker role, play on the outside in the Z position? Can I mean, is he really just kind of that unhidden talent that nobody knew about or just barely knew about because of the names ahead of him? Now, Cole, I'm, I'm going to touch on something you mentioned there at first. You, you said that they, you know, honed in on Devontae Smith and then Jalen Waddle was left open there. I don't know if we're going to be seeing that much in the future. Uh, let, let's say against Texas A&M, they decide to focus more on Jalen, leave Devontae, you know, man on. Then Devontae is going to go off. Remember, he scored five touchdowns last year against Ole Miss, and that was with Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy still making plays. Jalen Waddle, in my opinion, is doing – you know, big wide receiver one numbers in the slot. I, I was checking out a couple mock drafts today. They have him going top 15, some in the top 10. I've seen one or two with him in the top five um, being drafted. I, I would not sleep on Devontae Smith. And I know that sounds funny because I think he's on the Bolitnikoff watch list. So to sleep on somebody like that. But when it comes to this team, you know, the only two receivers or pass catchers that any team really knows about here is Waddle and Smith. And you can't double both of them. We still have John Mechie, who has two receptions um, from Saturday. He got in a little bit last season. I know he got one uh, look during the uh, season opening in 2019 against Duke. But other than that, Miller Forrestal, the tight end, he's there, sometimes not there. He's, a, he's an option that isn't read too often. And then the running backs, who's always there for, you know, five yards. But Jalen Waddle, I think this year is going to be the difference maker. I think Jalen Waddle's name by the end of this season is going to be much higher than we saw Judy's last year, much higher than we saw Ruggs last year before the NFL Combine when there were reports that he was going to be running a 3-8, or something, you know, absurd like that. So I think Jalen Waddle is going to be the main target um, moving forward for Alabama. And if Texas A&M really wants to do something against this uh, wide receiver core and in uh, Tuscaloosa, they're going to have to keep an eye on Jalen. I can only imagine. I mean, it really is just kind of the case, and that's something that I think Alabama has always done is produce wide receiver after wide receiver. Sometimes they depend on the NFL, but again, it's better to win than to lose. And in the battle between Texas A&M and Alabama, for the likes of Jalen Waddle, A&M walked away a big loser, and now they're going to have to face him on Saturday night. A name that A&M did not face last year, but they will face this year, is Dylan Moses. This was a linebacker who, in my opinion, was – Arguably the up-and-coming guy at the position. Alabama has been known for producing linebackers here and there for years and years and years. With Micah Parsons from Penn State opting out, this is a big shot for him to take over as linebacker one in this upcoming NFL draft class. But more importantly, he tore his ACL. Though those are injuries that you always consider as lingerers in the future. Did you see enough from Dylan on Saturday against Missouri that makes you feel comfortable with him, especially in coverage, which is something he was very well doing before the ACL tear. I, I think Dylan Moses coming back for this season is massive for Nick Saban in Alabama, not just because of what he can do on the field, because Saturday alone, he had eight total tackles. He uh, got an assist for a sack and almost three tackles for loss. I mean, he's you know trouble in coverage, but he's dangerous when he can get in the backfield as well. So on the field, he is an issue that needs to be dealt with by Texas A&M on Saturday. 
but off the field, looking at his leadership roles in the locker room, leadership on the sidelines, leading these players on the field as well. I mean, last year, I think Alabama had five freshmen starting on defense. And, you know, obviously that's basically a class of high school seniors out on the field. We had um, people in the Alabama fan base calling for defensive coordinator Pete Golding's head. Now that might be a little too much considering how young these players were, but would that have still been the same? Um, should have Moses been on that field and not suffered that season-ending knee injury beforehand. Imagine Dylan Moses in a leadership role. Forget the stats. Forget what he can do. Just him as a leader on this team, I think he would have helped. I mean, he's basically a player coach at this point, in my opinion. And I think just looking at the the depth chart this year, Will Anderson, who wreaked havoc havoc against Missouri on Saturday as a uh, freshman, is going to learn a lot from Moses. Drew Sanders, a true freshman who a lot of people are excited about. I don't know if you've seen, Cole, his um, highlight reel from high school. It is hit stick after hit stick after hit stick. The guy is a monster. But I think this one year with Dylan Moses is going to be the equivalent of maybe two or three seasons of experience wrapped up into one. So next year when he's gone, the Alabama defense isn't going to have to like restock. They're going to just reload. And now they're going to have all the knowledge from this elite talent that Dylan Moses has now. One thing you have to look at every single time with the defense or on offense, if you get one veteran player to teach the young guns how to play, it always turns into something positive the following season. AJ Spur joins us from Roll Tide Wire. And guys, AJ and I both understand that while tailgating might be a little different this year, you're still going to go out, you're still going to do it. And the best way to do so is not by just quarantining and staying six feet away, but it's also to have a nutritious treat, and I recommend Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar has its 12 original flavors, including salted caramel, double chocolate, orange toffee almond, raspberry, but they got six new flavors to bring the grand total to 18, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, and for you health nuts, carrot cake. Yep, that's right. And they're more like chocolate bars than they are candy bars than than they are protein bars because they're covered in 100% real chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. They're great for the health conscious guy. They help you lose weight, maintain weight, and you get to indulge in a delicious treat. It's all because of their low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. They're great for someone like me who is on the keto diet. I've recently tried cherry bakia. A lot of people are saying, oh, what's that taste like? Not only is it good, here's its protein. 18 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs. You're not going to find a product like this anywhere else. And when you visit BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. That promo code is locked on for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. We all know that we're going to be tailgating this offseason, whether it's at home or away. But the best way to make sure you stay alive all the way until the end of the night is by with a nutritious treat from BuiltBar.com. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Colt Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts surrounding your favorite sports team every single day? If so, why not listen to a Locked On Podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports teams, plus every team covered in the NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up for your fantasy football season. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. We got AJ Spur from Roll Tide Wired chugging right along with us as we prepare for this Friday show of Locked On Aggies. AJ, we talked about Bama. Bama is talented. Everyone in their mother knows Bama is talented. And you can't always beat the granddaddy of them all by the name of Nick Saban. But if there is one person who does have Nick Saban 
kind of round up because of the history, it's got to be Jimbo Fisher. They go way back to their days at LSU, and we got to see what he learned under the likes of Saban. They took to Tallahassee, that he took to a national title, and now he's hoping to bring down a Texas A&M. But his first two years at A&M definitely are not what you were expecting for a guy you're paying $75 million guaranteed for 10 years. What is your intake on Jimbo Fisher's role this far in College Station? So if we're going to go ahead and talk about recruiting, and Cole, you and I talked about this a little bit before the show, um, just getting started with recruiting here, just with Texas A&M year after year, it's, it's top five, it's top 15. And this is where it gets to what we were talking about. It seems like the SEC West, if, if you just look at the – the history, it's Alabama, Alabama, you know, Auburn, LSU here and there. But during those preseason conversations, it's always Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Texas A&M. Those are the big four that year after year are like, all right, this is, you know, Auburn's year. This is LSU's year. This is going to be the Aggie season. And then as the season goes by and one after one, they start to drop. You know, I don't want Aggies fans coming for my head here. But it always seems like Texas A&M is the first one to drop out of that group. And, you know, you, you definitely pay more attention to Texas A&M than I do. I don't know if it's Jimbo. I don't know if it's Kellen Mond. I don't know if it's the defense. Maybe the 12th man just isn't bringing it. I don't know what it is, but, you know, it's not a great look for Jimbo. I'm not going to say he's on the hot seat. I'm not going to say that the end of the Fisher era is near. I have um, my co-host for the radio show that I do on Saturday mornings. He's been adamant for the last two years that the second Jimbo Fisher gets that team going, Texas A&M will have a dynasty by the end of this decade. I, I don't know whether to get him help or I don't know whether to just cheer him on and hope that it happens. But there are believers out there outside of College Station. I may not be one of them. I'm more curious to see what the future holds for this team past the Kellen Mond era. Well, what I love about Jimbo Fisher is how he is. He's been a top five recruiter. He has this team top ten every year. He's getting five-star talents in year in and year out. But now it's year three. It's more Jimbo Fisher players in the building than they are Kevin Sumlin players. So this is the year where I don't let it hold back. Last year, they faced the number one team three times in the nation, three separate occasions. Week two against Clemson, week seven against Alabama, and week 13 against LSU. And they had to face two other top five, top 10 opponents in Auburn, who was ranked number eight, and Georgia, who was ranked number three. So, I mean, it was a tough schedule. Seven and five is kind of promising. But, you know, I go back and I look at that game from Saturday, 17 to 12 against Vanderbilt, against a team that everyone is saying is going to be 0-10 to 1-9. That's it. And they barely get that win. I mean, again, there's a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of things that I think you got to break down. But the one thing I will say is Mike Elko's defense stepped up big in moments of opportunity, especially towards the end. Does a unit that is returning eight starters, and more importantly, they're returning a top 40 pass defense and a top 35 run defense does that intimidate Alabama especially with what they're dealing with that quarterback no longer having this gunslinging guy in Tua Tagovailoa but more conservative Mac Jones is any of that concerning well if there's one thing I've learned about Mac Jones during his time as the assumed and now known 
Alabama starting quarterback. It's that he, he's not shy. He, he doesn't get scared. He's always at the forefront with confidence. And same goes with Saban. I mean, you probably know better than I do. He doesn't like to talk to the media. He doesn't show his true emotions. He doesn't show how he feels about an upcoming game. Now, I do think that there might be cause for concern when looking at Texas A&M's defense against this offense that, sure, Jalen Waddle went off and had himself a game. But other than that, Najee Harris didn't break 100 yards off 17 carries. Two wide receivers uh, for Alabama got eight receptions apiece, one of which didn't break 90 yards. Other than that, there was only one other wide receiver. You know, Alabama doesn't have the um, privilege of spreading the ball around like they have in years past with that gunslinger quarterback to a tongue of Iloa. So the rush may not be a focus for Texas A&M here because as long as they can do the bare minimum against Najee Harris and not let him break off against massive 81 yard runs like he did against South Carolina last season, I think as long as they can get that secondary set, they're good to go. Yeah. And the biggest thing of all, as you just said it, you had a running back in Najee Harris who did not break a hundred yards. In fact, there was only one running back in the SEC to break a hundred yards this past weekend. That was A&M's Isaiah Spiller. Him and Anaya Smith at the very start of, of the season when I was at, you know, when I was talking to them about what they expect this year, Anaya Smith said they expect to be a one-two combination in the SEC going off. And when you look at some of the ways some NFL teams run the ball still, and they are a run heavy, even though the league is turning pass happy, the SEC, as we saw on Saturday, especially with the return of Mike Leach to the South in some consideration – you know, he had Dan K.J. Gasella throwing 623 yards on the day. Running still can win. Now, when you look at how A&M, I mean, how Alabama played against, uh, against uh, Missouri, you saw at times that they did allow bigger runs, but you also saw a lot of setback runs by the quarterback. They also decided to switch quarterback Sean Robinson at negative 37 yards. When you have two running backs, both capable of breaking off, but also one that is a little bit bigger, kind of what you expect to see in the SEC. How does that work with a new Alabama defensive line that kind of is rotating in like a new high school graduating class every year? It's, it's risky. Missouri scored one touchdown on Saturday, just one. And it was a rushing touchdown, albeit as time expired in the game, but it was by Connor Basilak, their quarterback. Their quarterback, Basilak, was also the second highest rusher for uh, the Missouri Tigers on Saturday. When it comes to um, passing, Alabama did not do so well. They were able to spread the ball out to five or six different receivers, each with over 25 yards. Um, I don't know. If, if I'm being completely honest, this Alabama defense kind of scares me. You know, being this historical, strong defensive powerhouse, especially on the line that Alabama is – I, one of my biggest qualms about this season is DJ Dale. He's a sophomore nose tackle now, played eight games last season, did not do so well. He had only a, two or three sacks, I think, on the season. I had predicted him to have three sacks against Duke in the season opening game last season alone. You know, he's following big names like Deron Payne, Quinn and Williams, who each had a player above them to, you know, look to for advice, for guidance, you know, for some past experiences. DJ Dale comes in here along with the rest of these young guys who now have a year under their belt, 
but no guidance from older players, some veterans that were in the program. And with Pete Golden coming back, knowing that the fan base at least has some issues with him retaining his job coming into 2020, I don't know if this defense is going to be what it was in years past or even be better than it looked last season because that was clearly the main issue for Alabama aside from Tua's um, constant injuries. Everything you look at when you look at an Alabama defensive line is the names that aren't mentioned that somehow kind of get lost, but they're still studs in the NFL. You just mentioned Quentin Williams and the likes of Deron Payne. You didn't even mention Jonathan Allen, Sean Robinson, Dalvin Tomlinson. I mean, the list goes on and on. Raekwon Davis, another one. So not having a veteran presence does matter. But one thing that does matter when it comes to veteran leadership is at the quarterback position. And Kellen Mond, in a starter for three years, still is not able to figure it out. He threw for under 200 yards, one touchdown, three turnovers alone of the four. One was not his fault. One was a Jalen Preston fumble. But when you see that, is there questions for concern for A&M and more importantly, is this Kellen Moment's defining game in 2020, even if he starts the rest of the year? I'm going to be honest. I think if Kellen Mond is going to end his, you know, collegiate career on a high note, it's going to be with a win over Alabama this season, and there's a clear path on how to do it. You know, Isaiah Spiller broke 100 yards, solid running back. I think he needs to take a backseat role in this game. I think if Texas A&M wants to win this, they need to do what Missouri did in the passing game, spread the ball out as much as possible. Caleb Chapman, four receptions, 40 yards. Jalen Preston, four receptions, 39 yards. Chase Lane, three receptions, and so on. They need to do that against Alabama 10 times over. And then, instead of the run game with Spiller, have Kellen Mond take off. In all three years of Kellen Mond, uh, being the quarterback for AM, he has improved upon his rushing yards. Now, I know that's not his job as a quarterback, but it's something he's good at, and I don't think that's something Alabama is fully prepared for, even though they should know that it's coming. So I think spread the ball out and let Kellen Mond just escape the pocket and take off, and I think AM takes it easy. I, my biggest concern is this. I, don't, I agree with you that Kellen Mond played backseat. But you look at what the Cleveland Browns are doing in the NFL. You look at what the Tennessee Titans are doing in the NFL. You look at what Minnesota did last year in the NFL. Limit your limited quarterbacks to throwing on third and short. Take a couple of chances deep. Let your run game work. It's why the Browns are 2-1. and one. It's why Tennessee is 3-0. and oh. It's why when you're trying to get Kirk Cousins to be the franchise quarterback in Minnesota, you're 0-3 because you're not relying on Dalvin Cook to be your main guy. You have two running backs that can do it. I understand Kellen Mond is eventually going to pass and become the all-time leader in Texas A&M history. But at this point, be Baker Mayfield. Don't be freaking Deshaun Watson. Don't be that. Be the other way around. We're going to do our preview real fast, break down some things you may want to know before kickoff at 2.30. This is coming day. AJ's prediction, my prediction, here on Locked on Aggies in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, the only way that we get more followers is if you follow on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. And the only way we get more listeners is for if you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. 
AJ Spur from Roll Tide Wire, part of the USA Today Network. AJ, you and I are about to break down this game. I'm just going to throw you some quick questions. You throw me a couple, just, just I'm going to kind of bounce off of you. Real fast, who is one player that most fans do not know around the SEC that will be making a name for himself on Saturday against A&M at 2.30 when the game kicks off on CBS? I'm going to say Will Anderson if I wanted to, you know, hold on faith to the player I like, DJ Dale. But those are two that you should be on the lookout for. Fair enough. I think if you're an Alabama fan, you got to be circling number 85, Jalen Weidemeyer. Last season, he had two touchdowns on four catches against the Crimson Tide. It was the only two touchdowns that Kellen Mond threw. Sometimes you got to go with what you know. I'm still not sold on Dylan Moses being fully healthy to cover linebackers. I think Patrick Sertain is going to take very much control of the wide receiver position, but that is the name I think you got to look for. Also, number two, I'm going to go with Demond Demas, top 25 recruit across the country. Guess what? He had zero snaps against Vanderbilt, and that's why the team did not have a X-factor weapon to take over as the true number one target in College Station. I think he has a bigger role this upcoming week. AJ, let's break down this. Who is the one – what is the one thing that A&M has to do to beat the likes of Alabama? I think it's exposed the defense here. And like I said earlier, spread the ball out in the passing game. I think that's fair. For me, if you're Alabama, capitalize on the turnovers. In 2012, the one time that A&M marched into Bryant-Denny Stadium and kicked the crap out of Alabama, they had zero turnovers since. 15 turnovers, five returned for touchdowns in the last seven years. Capitalize on those turnovers. Continue to cause turnovers. That's how you win. AJ, Quick question. Who has a better game, Kellen Mond or Mac Jones? Kellen Mond, hands down. I, I, don't, I don't think this is going to be a close one. I think that actually Mac Jones has a better game, but I think Mac Jones has more turnovers than Kellen Mond. Mond has been essential to having turnovers in the past few games. I think this is a game where he's going to be limited to how he passes. So when he does pass, they are going to be completions. Maybe it won't read you know, 250 yards, but I think Jones – has an interception or two, but he also has at least 250 yards in the day. AJ, one player on defense that everyone should know, everyone should circle, he is the X factor against Kellen Mond. Josh Job, because honestly, if anybody in this Alabama secondary is going to get it done, it's going to be him. I, I Listen, I agree. Job has played really well. I'm very excited to see his potential in the future. If you're Alabama, circle DeMarvin Leal. This was another top 25 recruit who came on strong last year. And when Justin Matabike declared for the NFL draft, he had a great game in the Texas Bowl. He's starting to build a little bit off it. Michael Clemens was the star week one. I got DeMarvin Leal week two. Who has the better game? Is it going to be – an odd to this. Um, is it going to be Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith? I think it's going to be Devontae Smith. I think Texas A&M is going to watch some of the tape against, or in the game against Mizzou and, and see what Jalen Waddle's capable of. Leaving Devontae Smith open a little too much, and I think he's not going to do what he did against Ole Miss with the five touchdowns last season, but I do think he has himself a game. Who makes more field goals, A&M or Texas? A&M or, you, or Alabama? A&M. <laughs> I mean, no offense. I mean, I, listen, yeah, I no. Clubs, even I got to agree with that. Give me your final prediction. Final countdown. Game kicks off at 2.30. You got Gary Danielson, Brad Nessler on the call. Game on the line. First off, before we even go through that, over under is 17.5. You taking the over, you taking the under. 
I'm, I'm taking the over. I, I've never hit under, and I've only lost a handful of times. I'm taking the under, but who is going to be on the over? Is it going to be Alabama? I, I do. I, I think it is. All right, what's your final score prediction? This, this completely contradicts what I just said, but I'm saying 41-31 Alabama. Listen, I'm pretty close to you. I say it's 10, but I say 38-28 Alabama. I think Kellen Mond does not have a bad game. I just think that there's a little bit something going on, especially at that wide receiver position. There's very little starting quality there right now. And to face Alabama in week two is something that's not easy to do for any team, specifically Texas A&M. However, I think it does give them hope to prepare for Florida. We got my main man, AJ Spur from Roll Tide Wire here on the podcast. AJ, let the good people of Twitter, let the good people of Locked On Aggies know where they can follow you and find your work. You can go ahead on Twitter and find me at SpurFM. That's S-P-U-R-R and then F-M. All right. And you write for Roll Tide Wire. Is it at Roll Tide Wire? That's at Roll Tide Wire. It's part of USA Today, but it's in my bio on Twitter. So if you just head over to my page, you can, you can find that right there. Hit Spur FM. Go click on Roll Tide Wire. Hit Roll Tide Wire on the follow button. That's good to do for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast every single day. Every single day is a Locked on Podcast Day on iTunes, Spotify, and, of course, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. Follow me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and follow us at Locked on Aggies. We will be back on Monday, win or lose. We will be discussing how A&M performed, what went right, what went wrong, and is the Aggies going to be sitting at 2-0? Who knows? We'll see you then. And remember, take them y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.